everyone. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Uh, joining me today, we have uh, the the leaders and founders of four really interesting GI companies um, here to talk about the future of GI care. So we'll we'll start off by giving each person just a you know a minute to to talk about their their title, their company, a little bit about their background, and then we'll dive into some of the questions. Uh, so Sam, we'll we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and it's great to see you guys here as well. Um, my name is Sam Jacktel, founder and CEO at Able Health. Uh, I'll kind of spare you my, uh, my my career background, but uh, I'm a ulcerative colitis patient diagnosed in 2014. Um, have been living with that for for quite a while now, and trying to address uh, the the needs of patients like myself. Hey, Jared, great to be on the show. Excited to be here with uh, these the stellar group of colleagues that uh, that you have on. Uh, my name is Samir Barry. I'm a practicing gastroenterologist in a community practice here in New York City. Also the co-founder and chief medical officer of Oshi Health, which is a virtual first uh, clinic for digestive disorders. Hey, thanks for having us, Jared. Bill Snyder here. I'm the CEO of Avante Health, where our mission is to revolutionize digestive health gut first. So we work with patients who suffer from chronic digestive conditions and their related symptoms and make sure that we're optimizing care and reducing symptoms at scale. And hi, everyone. My name is Asaf Kraus. I am the founder and CEO of Dieta Health, where our mission is to personalize digestive healthcare using data and AI. Um, I myself am both an IBS patient and a data scientist, formerly a data scientist at Uber. And so those two things from my personal life, the experience with the disease IBS and the professional experience as a data scientist uh, brought me to work on this problem. Well, thank you all so much for your intros. We're going to stick with you actually for this this first question because it's uh, specifically because it's AI based, and then everyone will get their chance to do, you know, put their two cents on top of it, and then we'll go back down the the, uh, the group. Talk me through how, you know, how will the impact of AI? We, we keep hearing about ChatGPT and these other platforms, right? Google Bard uh, that the that are being rolled out. Uh, how how do you see that impacting the the future of GI care? Yeah, totally. It's something I've been thinking about deeply for the past four years. So um, at Yetta, we're kind of focused on building AI for two, uh, two problems in digestive health that I experienced myself. The first is measuring outcomes. And the second is actually improving those outcomes using better recommendations for better treatments. So I'll start with the improving um, outcomes measurement part of it. Patients are often uh, asked to look at their stool and characterize it subjectively now. So for IBS patients, you have something called the Bristol scale. The patients look at their stool in the toilet and they have to match it up to a cartoon diagram. And that is what kind of gastroenterologists and the FDA and the pharma companies all use to understand does this patient have diarrhea or constipation. And some of the other diseases like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, they often look for blood in the stool, mucus, other visual characteristics. Uh, so at Dieta, we built this stool image recognition technology. It sounds a little bit crazy, but patients use a smartphone app and uh, take a photo of their stool in the toilet. And then computer vision AI actually classifies it on five different dimensions. Uh, and we proved in a clinical trial at Cedars-Sinai that that's more accurate than the current uh, standard of patient reported outcomes. And it gives you much more granular uh, data on each patient. It gives you a better classification of patients at a more uh, detailed level. The second side of it is uh, treatment um, recommendations. So currently patients face, this is what I think is the biggest problem in GI. There's too many options of what to do as a patient to actually treat your condition. You can change your diet in a bunch of different ways. Uh, there's a bunch of different supplements. Like if you type in digestive health on Amazon, thousands of different products will come up. And each one of them, you'll find a patient 
that says this cured me and a doctor that says this is what I believe is, is, a, is a good solution. So there's prescription medications, supplements, diets, and it's a maze for a patient to navigate what, who should they listen to and what should they actually try. So um, I think just like Netflix has made a recommendation engine of like what movie you should watch if you have preferences similar to others, um, AI could be used in gastroenterology to match you up as a patient to those who are similar to you and give you an intervention recommendation that is uh, targeted and personalized towards you. Thanks so much. Bill, what would you, uh, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think Asaf hit it like on the head. And I think GI is really unique, especially in terms of digital health. And I think the opportunity for AI and machine learning is enormous in this space specifically, because a lot of these conditions are nebulous, they're ill-defined. Um, and so what that means is there's a lot of opportunity to instill AI and machine learning to improve the care that's delivered. So for us at, at, at Vivante, we think about how do we take these big disparate data sets and how do we look at patterns within all the information that we're reviewing constantly and start to say, okay, where can we optimize the care and triage appropriately and intervene at the right time for the right patient? So I think it, it's really, you know, we talk about digital health a lot. We talk about AI and machine learning and, and GI specifically is like the perfect area where there can be really outsized return in terms of validated clinical care by instilling stronger AI and machine learning. So it's really exciting. We'll kick it over to you, Samir. Yeah, you know, I echo what 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 Bill and, and Asaf have said, and, and the technology Asaf is building, you know, is really, really valuable and important. I, I use this tool every day in my practice. I have the Bristol School still just, you know, on my desk. It's something I ask every patient. So being able to objectively track that in a much better way is, is, is very important, regardless of how we do that. I think one of the things we have to be really careful about, though, with, with GI is the history is so important. The, those nuanced, non-objective components of a patient's story are really more critical in GI than almost in any other field, right? There are no biomarkers. Um, and so the data is important, like Bill said, right? And, and using this data is very important. We're building the scaffolding at OSHI to really make sure that we can make meaningful use of our data. So our documentation is all structured, checkboxes, dropdowns. But no matter how hard you try, you try to structure that data, the nuances of a patient's story are really, really, really critical. And so it's not about AI and data versus a different option. It's really about AI and data plus right? So you can't remove that human high-touch component from a patient's care if you're really going to drive the best outcomes and reduce cost. You have to take the patient's story into context and then layer data on top of it with predictive analytics. Um, but I'm excited about how we're going to be able to merge, you know, merge the data with the human component as well, because they're both so critical in GI. And last but not least, Sam. Yeah, no, I mean, Samir, I think the the tech plus human is super important. I think just one without the other is, you know, we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice, right? Um, I think there's two things that I would add to what we've all discussed. I think one is this idea, and I think it's off you've touched a little bit on it, but I think it's the personalization. Like one size really fits none in GI. Um, and I think it's really important to get to that 100% personalized approach to care because every individual there. So for example, I have ulcerative colitis, my mom has Crohn's, my sister has Crohn's, my sis other sister has IBS, my grandmother had Crohn's. We all have different things that work for us, but we share a huge amount of the same genetic background, right? And so I think the like end of one personalization is really important and uh, human alone doesn't always get there, right? There's limits to that. 
And so the, the, the like AI on top of that, we use more machine learning and a little bit of predictive AI to do that. But I think it's very similar, right? Like we, we use that to kind of continue to personalize it. I think one thing that I, I, we haven't talked about yet is like we can actually use the data to change the intervention itself, which I think is really cool, right? So, um, you know, the, the first uh, focus that, that we've played in um, is, is in the nutrition side of things. So the personalized elimination diets are incredibly complex to run. Right, you're like groping in the dark to figure out what your trigger foods are, and you're eliminating hundreds and hundreds of foods trying to reintroduce those. It takes like a year and a half's worth of experimentation with the best GI dietitian you can, you know, money can buy, and you're still going to have a really hard time, right? And so we've used the machine learning and the AI to collapse that amount of time into a fraction of that time improve the probability that you get the therapeutic potential that is there right um and then you know do that in a way that is that a person loves from an experience standpoint and then we've done the same thing on psychology uh, which is just as difficult to do and so i think it's both the personalization and actually changing what we can do for people right adding new tools to a clinical toolbox if i could just add one thing you know as a physician, and what Sam said is so important to just kind of double click and focus in on, right? Not all GI patients are the same. This is a very, very broad differentiated field. And the analogy I like to use is about booking a flight, right? So for a simple patient, a pure data-driven computer-assisted approach is totally fine. I just want to go to delta.com, book my cross-country flight nonstop, really simple. But if I have to change a multi-trip flight, I'm booking multiple different classes of fares, I'm trying to mix using a certificate with some miles, with some cash, I just want to call someone and talk to them and have them do it, right? And so it's really about figuring out which is the right patient where we can take a data-first approach versus what's the really complex, high-cost patient that's been suffering for a long time that really needs that that human-to-human hand-holding approach with that data layer and that data architecture underneath to drive the best outcomes. And Sam, I want to kick back to you because we'll go down opposite direction on, on this next question. When when we look at some of the biggest challenges that are facing the the GI community, let's say over the next decade, right? So really forward thinking, what do you feel some of those are? I'm sure a lot of you, given this, the space that you're all in, will will have some similar you know, problems that you lay out. So it could be just everyone's kind of tacking onto the other one's question, which is totally fine. But Sam, we'd love to hear from you. Then we'll go Samir, Bill, Seth. Yeah, I think uh, it's a pretty simple one. So, you know, I, I went to business school. We talked about supply and demand. It is an absolute nightmare out there right now in GI. Uh, there aren't enough of people like Dr. Barry, right? Um, I think we're predicting somewhere between 1,600 and 2,000 GIs that are kind of missing in 2024, 2025-ish. My numbers may be a little bit old, but that's a huge gap. Um, You you kind of compare contrast that with um, diagnosis rates that are growing, and in particular growing um, in the Hispanic and Black populations. Um, And then you map those to the map of the U.S., and you're like, there's a million folks in in the New York, Boston, like Northeast. And so we're severely overserved there and severely overserved in California. If you're in Idaho, you're screwed. And so that's a really big issue in gastroenterology is like, how do we go from one-to-one care to one-to-many care? And then if you think of just GI, it gets even worse when you consider GI specialty 
like dietary uh, uh, people who, who are edu educated and experts in that space. And then it gets even worse in the psychology side. So if you look at like the average wait times for, for a dietitian, um, you know, you're talking six to nine months easily. Psychologists, there's like 150 to 200 GI specialized psychologists in the country for 70 million patients, right? And so like, it just, the math doesn't make sense, right? And so that's where I think the combination of the human and the technology allows us to treat more people who need the help, treat everybody with the same, right? Like it's a health equity thing. Everybody gets access to the same kind of gold standard care, which currently isn't the, the, the case. And then over time, get better and better to provide better care for those patients. But I think at the root cause of all of it is we need to find scalable solutions to meet the demand that's out there. And, and you know, I've been to some of the best gastroenterologists in, in the country, and I still haven't had that same access, right? And so it, it, it's not even a like dollar gap. I think it's just a fundamental supply and demand gap. Although yes, this is healthcare, so dollars matter, yeah. No, Sam, you know, Sam hit the, hit the nail on the head, right? Um, there's an access problem today in GI. So leaving the, the future shortage out of it and, and the numbers Sam quoted are correct, right? 1600 to 2000 physician shortage specifically in gastroenterology over the next two years. But even today, the average wait time is in months, you know, two to three months, the average appointment duration is 19 minutes, right? So there's already a huge access problem. Um, this is predominantly going to impact, you know, rural and underserved communities, uh, we're already seeing the impact. Uh, GI conditions are the number one cause of treat and release in the emergency room. So patients that show up in the ER and then are released without an observational admission or hospital admission. Um, you know, Sam mentioned that the shortage of dietitians and psychologists, but the number one problem facing GI is the patients that are suffering, right? More and more patients are being diagnosed with GI conditions. Um, the costs are, are out of control, right? About $140 billion annually, which is more than what we spend on heart disease and mental health. Um, GI conditions impact more patients than um, diabetes, right? So this is a highly stigmatized condition that's, that's really underestimated in terms of the impact it has on our country, on our employers, and most importantly, our patients. One thing you know that I would add to what Sam mentioned is what we're putting our gastroenterologists through. And if I can selfishly you know put a plug in for myself, it's becoming really, really hard to operate as a gastroenterologist, right? Our patients are expecting more and more um, with the advent of these consumerized healthcare companies that are giving them that 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 wonderful in-home experience. So the patients are expecting more. Um, there's downward pressure on reimbursement across all CPT codes for gastroenterology and future cuts that are already scheduled. Uh, more hoops we have to go through as gastroenterologists with uh, prior authorizations for medications, endoscopies, um, and our operating costs are going up. It's harder to find staff, whether it's your call center staff, your MAs, um, support staff. You know, so patients are expecting more. Insurance companies are paying us less, and our costs are going up. It's really, really tough to operate as a gastroenterologist. And so something has to change. The, these little incremental improvements that we've been making are not going to be enough to fix this problem. And so Sam said it you know, perfectly, going from a one-to-one -to, -one to a one-to-many solution is really, really important and not only solving the patient problem, but the gastroenterologist problem as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Sam and Samir did a great job. And just to kind of distill that down, like I think about care needs to be accessible, it needs to be affordable, and it needs to be personalized. And today in GI care, it's not very accessible, it's not affordable, and it's really hard to personalize. 
And so going back to my earlier comments about where I think that there's this outsized opportunity for digital tools to play a really, really unique position, especially in this condition set. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's all the work that we're all doing is to figure out how do you marry that use of digital tools and the personal touch to make sure that we can accomplish all those three things across the U.S. and beyond. Uh, so I think that's kind of the macro problem that that we're all trying to solve and that we're having an impact on. And then I think, Samir, you hit on another point that's that's really important, and that is uh, the fact that we need to empower these patients. And so I do, you know, we see patients suffering in silence. This is not easy stuff to talk about. The average person doesn't like to talk about what's going on in the bathroom. It's hard. It's embarrassing. And so to give them that space where they can be vulnerable and where they can feel empowered to start to kind of direct their care journey as well, I think is extremely important. So that's how I'd kind of summarize the points made and and certainly uh, our thoughts about kind of the opportunity here in the GI space. Yeah, I, I totally agree uh, with everything my colleagues said here. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems is, is the supply and demand mismatch between uh, you know patients and clinicians. There's also this issue of reimbursement. So as uh, when I was an employee of Uber and getting care from gastroenterologists and Uber is paying for my care, I could go see a gastroenterologist and pay a $10 copay, but to see a GI dietitian or some of these other lower cost clinicians would actually cost me hundreds of dollars out of pocket. So you actually have patients going to the wrong types of clinicians in a lot of cases, just because that's what's uh, reimbursable. And then I wanted to touch on something that Samir mentioned about stigma, which I think is really important. It's going to... Uh, is going to continue to grow kind of this problem. So currently 70% of people that have IBS don't have the diagnosis because it's stigmatized, because it's scary to talk about and because the care is relatively inaccessible. Uh, Samir posted this article on LinkedIn a few months back that was on, in the New York Times about the trend on TikTok of uh, gut health being talked about with like 300 million views or something, I believe, of uh, gut talk or something like that. Um, and I think that online communities... Uh, back when I was a patient in 2017, going through this journey, I was going on Reddit. I guess now it's TikTok, but the stigma is kind of coming down. I think that GI is having a moment similar to what mental health has experienced over the past five years. I think our, our, all of our companies are contributing to that uh, destigmatization, and that's probably going to bring even more demand to, to GI. So these doctors that already have so many patients coming to them are going to need backup. And that's where I think digital solutions that uh, reduce the cost of care and improve the outcomes are going to be really valuable. I want to, I want to shift focus a little bit to um, re really two more prompts for everyone. So the last one will be more of, you know, quick hitters, give us your, your, your couple thoughts, but this, this last question, we can be a little bit more, more thoughtful with as, as you all have been uh, thus far. So, when we look at the, the changing landscape as it relates to policy and payment in this space, how, how will that end up impacting the delivery of, of GI care? And we'll start with you, SF. Yeah, so I think that uh, solutions that are more PMPM, -PM, where uh, a payer is paying for the entire service and you get a multidisciplinary care, care team of clinicians. I know Bill was formerly at Verda. Uh, that's a company that we're all, we're all probably looking to, to emulate what Verta did, what Hinge Health did, uh, where you sell an entire package of clinicians and the payer actually reduces their cost of care ultimately by having lower cost clinicians do most of the work like health coaches. Um, I think that's a really promising trend for gastroenterology. I also think that RPM is as well. See a lot of big hospital systems, like we're working with some doctors who, who use our technology at Cedar sinai and Mayo Clinic by being the top ranked uh, medical centers for gastroenterology. 
they have even more uh, demand coming to them. So you, the usage of RPM tools to kind of offload uh, some of the, the burden on uh, gastroenterologists, I think, is, is going to be uh, really critical to um, improving the future of GI care. Yeah, I think, uh, Asaf, I think it was spot on in terms of how you're seeing these payment methodologies evolve. And I think a big thing is going at risk. You know, um, one of the first things we did at Vivante was we went 100% fees at risk for outcomes. Um, and so I think you're seeing a transition in terms of the way payments are structured from systems and from health plans, where you can start to attribute that risk. There's still some uh, some difficulty there, depending on the condition, uh, the symptoms of the patient, and this the percentage of risk that both the plans or the provider want to take on. Uh, but I think that's exciting because you know there's there's an opportunity there to really improve the care, improve clinical outcomes, get the patients feeling better, uh, and then also save the patients money as well as the sponsor of the plan. And so I, I do think we're continuing to see that that methodology of going fees at risk evolve. And that's why it's it's been core to us at Vivante because we see that as the future of payment methodology. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And again, another unique aspect in GI is that taking on risk in these capitated contracts are really different compared to diabetes, cardiology, musculoskeletal, where there's these existing, you know, kind of infrastructure architecture in these contracts to execute on those types of deals. GI is really, really difficult, right? There's, again, we already talked about the fact there's no biomarkers. There's a lot of coding obfuscation that occurs in GI, right? I can give you a couple examples. Uh, a patient with IBS who goes to the emergency room has a four, five, six thousand dollar workup none of that workup is ever coded as IBS, right? It's a coded as acute abdominal pain, right? Um, patients who, who undergo um, uh, colonoscopy, uh, we as gastroenterologists will frequently code that as colorectal cancer screening, even when it's diagnostic. To do the patient a favor, avoid that copay. It's great for the patient. It means it, it makes it very difficult on a population level to execute on these types of contracts. Uh, we've done a lot of work. This has been my area of research for almost a decade. Um, we just signed two um, contracts in GI with national health plans that are really probably the two first value-based contracts in GI at a national health plan level, really looking at risk in a much more holistic way um, than you know a 30-day bundle for endoscopy or small kind of performance measures here and there. But it just is a very unique field. We'll have to be very, very methodical in understanding about what the claims data actually means. And it really takes a, a team of actuarial scientists and gastroenterologists to understand that sort of claims data, right? You know, just to give you another example, we met with a health plan and they, they, they gave us some data. They said, yeah, the average cost of their EGDs was about $700 when done in the emergency room. You know, something wasn't adding up there. And I know as a gastroenterologist, that doesn't make sense. But when you do an EGD, the anesthesia, the pathology, a lot of these things are carved out with separate codes. So it, it takes a very methodical approach to really understand the data. And that's the, that's the first step in being able to take on uh, risk at, at a health plan level, um, which is going to be happening more and more. Uh, I never thought I'd say this, but we need more actuaries in GI. Uh, <laughs> I think like we just need to figure out what the problem is and what that burden I think that's the, the other thing. And, you know, Asafi mentioned like GI is kind of where mental health was, you know, five, six years ago. We, we still don't actually, I don't think we've done a good job of uncovering where all those costs are, right? How they're attributed, um, what the true burden of these patients are on our health system. Um, and, you know, just like as a patient, you know, how, how poorly 
that quality of life actually impacts other things, right? So uh, it, to, to me, it's, it's we need to do a little bit more work, and this will happen over time, uh, to better understand where those costs are coming from and how to address them. Um, I think we also need to keep in mind that a lot of conversation happens relative to CPT codes and ICD tags and all the like, you know, the actuarial stuff. There is also the whole bottom half of the iceberg, right? Which is like my productivity in the workplace, my absenteeism in the workplace, my just uh, the fact that like uh, a lot of GI conditions have comorbidities, particularly in the mental health side, right? So disease related anxiety and depression are huge in the IBS population and like real diagnosable PTSD in the IBD population is huge. Like we need to have that better understanding of what sits underneath the surface for us to truly understand that. And then once we have a better understanding of that, I think then you'll see a tide shift of people saying, I, I realize it's a problem. Um, and we don't, we won't have to do as much of that education because the data will show. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Some really good work coming uh, out of, I think, John Hopkins as well. Um, really going through a commercially insured population and figuring out where those costs are coming from, but still haven't done a great job of understanding what the the, the non-direct spend uh, comes from and how that impacts. For this last quick segment, everyone's going to have anywhere from like 20 to 30 seconds, which I know is not a ton of time, but I want your quick hitters on what the future of GI care looks like, Right. And if they really want to follow along, uh, anyone that's listening to see and actually be a part of the future of GI care, they should be connecting with all of you uh, after this uh, to, to stay up to date on what's going to happen. Um, we're going to start off this one uh, with with Bill, then Samir, and then um, uh, Sam and Asef. So I think the future is accessible, affordable, and personalized. I think that's what we're all striving to get it to be. And I think that we accomplish that um, with a, a technology forward approach uh, that's wrapped with personal touch from care team members and an integration into the existing care ecosystem. So um, just in terms of, as we talk about that contracting work, spent over a decade at Humana and various leadership roles, sat at the table, we were negotiating different risk-based arrangements with major health systems throughout Chicago. And one of the things that, that I always come back to is there is an infrastructure in place that these digital tools and this innovation that we're all bringing to the market can really help push and direct and change, but it does need to fit within that infrastructure. So I think that that's going to be key and we can create a meaningful experience for these members. We can get them feeling better. We can create amazing outcomes and we can do that at scale. Um, and what's really exciting for me is we've talked about GI having its moment. I think we're all experiencing that. There's more and more health systems. There's more payers. There's more employers that see the need here. And that allows all of us to impact more individuals. So I think um, it goes back to, again, accessible, affordable, and personalized for each member we serve. No, I totally agree. I, I would say, you know, again, I'm just going to hit on the fact that GI is so complex, right? It's it's unlike any other condition area. And what I will say is that's going to be digitally enabled high-touch care. Not every patient is going to respond to dietary elimination. Not every patient is going to respond to a behavioral intervention. Um, to make the diagnosis and to treat patients, you need a full stack care team. You need high touch care. 
and you need to interact with the in-person primary gastroenterologist with very, very high fidelity, right? So it's about digitally enabled virtual wraparound, working with people that are on the ground, boots on the ground, people like myself who are seeing patients um, to provide that in-between care. It's about the in-between care that I think is going to have the most revolution. We've seen a, we've seen a ton of technology and a ton of innovation um, in the traditional brick and mortar care, right? What we can do with endoscopy, with biologics, uh, gene therapy, a lot of innovation there. Where we've totally fumbled is on the in-between care. And that's where patients live their lives. That's where digital has the has a lot of power uh, to not only improve the patient experience, not only improve uh, patient outcomes, but again, improve the gastroenterologist experience and, you know, kind of le leveling them to uh, provide the highest quality care. So it's about digitally enabled in-person wraparound care. I think to, to hop on top of that, I really, I really uh, agree with that. The way that I kind of see these conditions is I call them and conditions rather than or conditions. You need all of the above. Right, because we have a hard time right now predicting who's going to respond to what. The reality is, you should try all of the above, right? Like you should take your drugs, you should also change your diet, you should also address your psychological kind of wraparound elements, and do all of that for every patient, right? I think that that's really important in a way that you know doesn't fight one another. And so I, I think I'm really passionate about that. I think the other thing, you know, as the two patients on the call here is, um, I think the future of GI is patient driven. Right now, I think it's important there the dollars in healthcare and who uses the product is often very different. And so what ends up happening a lot of times and where we get very frustrated as patients is that our voice is either not heard or completely filtered and garbled and incentives are aligned very differently. And so I really do think that putting it's not just a, a kind of lip service of like, yeah, we're putting the patient at the center. It's got to be us because we're the ones who use it. I am the one who costs you money. And so I think that that's really important is meeting the patient where he or she is rather than uh, meeting them where we expect them to be. So that's kind of my my soapbox, but very passionate about that. Yeah, and exactly. I would definitely agree with all my colleagues there. I think the, the future is personalized. It's accessible. You should always have the multidisciplinary care team accessible to you in your pocket in a mobile app where you chat with them in between visits as opposed to waiting three months for a visit, which is, is common in gastroenterology today. Uh, the thing we're most focused on, what I'm most focused on is the technology piece of that, is that uh, today you, you come to GI clinicians, you give them a lot of data on yourself, whether it's a food journal, a bowel movement journal, uh, your history, and oftentimes it feels to the patients like that information gets lost, uh, that they could be comparing that information to millions of other patients that have been in their shoes. Um, so I think that building a future in which they give a little bit of data and their patient profile is understood. It's compared to millions of other patients and the recommendations given to them are the most precise they can possibly be, uh, is going to make it a really bright future for GI patients. Well, I want to thank all of you once again for, for joining me on the Titans of Healthcare podcast, wishing you all the best of luck with your, your companies. And hopefully we can have you on again in the near future to, to talk some more, uh, GI. <laughs>